listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. For this summer episode, we're talking about ticks, what they are, how to prevent bites, and the role of local health departments in providing information and resources on preventing tick-borne illnesses like Lyme disease. Thanks for tuning into this episode of County Conversations. Today we're talking about tick safety and Lyme disease prevention. I'm Kate Pierce, multimedia specialist with NISAC, and we're happy to be joined today by Dr. Scott Campbell, chief of the Arthropod Borne Disease Laboratory at the Suffolk County Department of Health Services. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Campbell. It's my pleasure. Hello, everyone. So before we delve into the important work Suffolk County and local health departments across the state do to protect the public from Lyme and other tick-borne diseases, uh, let's start with some of the basics. Um, Dr. Campbell, can you talk a little bit about where ticks live um, and what are some of the best preventative measures uh, you can take to avoid being bitten or to avoid them in general? So um, there are different types or species of ticks and, and they can live in different places. So some like the black-legged tick that transmits Lyme disease lives primarily in woods. Uh, and then you have the American dog tick which transmits primarily Rocky Mountain spotted fever and they can live more in uh, open fields. So, so the, the, the different locations that these different uh, tick species live in can vary. Um, you know, here in Suffolk County, almost in any location, you can find uh, one, at least one or more of the tick uh, species that are found in Suffolk County. And you can also find them around your home. And that's, that's where the risk uh, increases. So you can find them out in, in uh, fields or woods or, you know, out in park situations, but you can also find them around your home. So it's not just go for a hike and check for ticks. It's also check for ticks just in your regular day-to-day activities. Absolutely. You can, you can find them in homes. Again, it, it, the whole tick population is driven by hosts and, and the availability because ticks take blood meals. So they have to have a host uh, available. So one of the most prominent hosts that are available for ticks are deer. So if you live in an area where there's a lot of deer, the, that increases the likelihood of having deer around your home. Which makes sense for a lot of New York State. Um, is there a peak season in New York State for ticks? So tick uh, cycles kind of vary uh, depending again on the type of tick that we have. Um, most tick activity is from spring to fall uh, with regards to uh, the tick species that we have, but we also see um, adult black-legged ticks, which transmit Lyme disease, uh, they're active uh, in the fall and winter. And their activity can be any time a day is above 40 degrees. So even in a winter, when the day is warmer than 40 degrees, you can be at risk at acquiring a tick bite. So really, you know, what I like to say is any time of the year is is a potential risk of acquiring a tick bite. So you really need to do tick checks and, and take precautions throughout the entire year. And what do some of those precautions look like? So I, I'm thinking of like for hiking, right? Like there's a lot of wear protective clothing, have um, you know tweezers on you, that kind of stuff that I'm more familiar with. But what, um, what preventative measures would you recommend? 
So, so the most important ones, as you said, are, are barriers. And one of those is clothing. So ticks don't bite through clothing like a mosquito might be able to. So if you wear long pants, if you tuck your pants in your socks, um, that will prevent ticks from getting up underneath your pants and, and finding a place to feed uh, on the lower portion of your body. If you tuck your t-shirt into your pants, that will prevent them from getting underneath your shirt. So you can use a physical barrier like clothing to prevent ticks from getting up into uh, areas where they might be able to feed. The other barrier you can use is um, a type of repellent. And those repellents, uh, there are ones you can use on your clothing and ones you can use on your skin. Uh, the one that is, is only used on your clothing is, is called permethrin. And the permethrin is sprayed on the clothing when you're not wearing it, you let it dry. Um, and then it can be worn and washed for six times before that permethrin starts to break down and you need to reapply it. So that's a very good one, you know, because there's no way of really contacting it. Once it dries and binds to the clothing, it's not coming off when you touch your clothing. Uh, the other ones are can be used on your clothing as well, like DEET or Picaridin, um, and but it washes off. So you wash your clothing, you have to reapply it. Um, and but those can also be used on your skin. So if you want to wear shorts and and you want to protect yourself, you can apply the DEET or the Picaridin or, or or those that are labeled for skin. You can apply it to your legs uh, to to prevent uh, the ticks from from uh, crawling up your legs. Ticks come from the ground. Uh, they don't really, uh, you know, they don't drop from trees. They don't fly. They don't uh, come, come, you know, from uh, uh, head high. So, so really, you you want to create a barrier from the waist down. Unless you're rolling around in the in the brush and and leaf litter, uh, the risk is really acquiring them on your legs and having them crawl up your body and then try to find a spot to to feed. So, if you treat your shoes and your socks. Um, or wear long pants and treat those as well. You're going to create a barrier and, and you're going to be less likely to have any ticks um, acquire or, or, or contact your skin and be able to uh, uh, feed. Great. Those are some that I haven't heard of before. So if I find a tick on my leg or, you know, I'm out hiking with someone, I notice a tick on them or on, you know, a pet. Um, what are the first steps that you do when you notice a tick? Well, what you just said is you did a tick check. And it's very important to do tick checks, both when you're in the field, about every 20 minutes or so, you want to look at your body, look at your clothing, uh, look at your legs, and, and make sure nothing has gotten on you and is starting to climb up. Because if you don't do any tick checks while you're out hiking or while you're out working in the garden or uh, you know out in tick territory, the, there, that increases the likelihood of that tick getting up underneath your clothing and starting to attach. So if you do tick checks in the field when you're when you're enjoying the uh, outdoors or working in your yard you're going to get them before they have the ability to get under clothing or take or, or start to feed so it's it's very important to do those tick checks then it's also important to do the tick checks at night when you get home and you uh shower um one good thing when you get in to do is is take your clothes off and throw them right in the dryer don't put them in a hamper don't put them in a, a washing machine because they can survive in those two things for some time. They don't, they don't survive in dryers after 10 minutes. So if you, if you take your clothes, put them in a dryer for 10 minutes, put, put the dryer on medium to high heat, 
uh, the, it desiccates them, it dries them out and it kills them. And now that clothing is kind of free of ticks and now you can put it in the hamper or now you can put it in the washing machine. So that's a good way to, to, uh, to sterilize or to clean those clothes from the ticks. So once that's done, now you do the tick check, right, at home and, um, and then shower. So again, tick checks need to be thorough. There are several stages of each tick species and, and the, the, there are small ones that can transmit disease. So you're looking for something that's about the size of a, a poppy seed. And, and so, so you have to really look closely uh, at night when you do that tick check after being in tick territory uh, or your yard. Now, the following day, what I like to do, even though I haven't been out doing any, hopefully I haven't been sleepwalking, right? So I just, I go to sleep, I wake up the next morning, I do a quick tick check then as well, because if I've missed a tick, a small one, and it's attached, now there's, there could be a little bit of redness around that bite. And, and so now that little tick is a little bigger, right? So you look for that and now you're like, oh, I have one attached. So you, 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 you want to remove it. And so then it comes to proper tick removal. And the best way to remove a tick is to just have fine tipped forceps or tweezers. Reach down, get as close to the skin as possible and pull straight up. Ticks don't crawl under the skin. There's only a small little piece of the mouth part that goes into the skin. So you grasp the tick close to the skin and pull straight up. Uh, you don't want to smother it. You don't want to burn it. You don't want to torment it in any way. Just uh, grasp it firmly and pull it straight up. Now, what do you do with that tick? You, you know, vengeance is great, right? Some people say, yeah, I burned it. I, I cut it. I smashed it. But in that tick, there's actually germs or pathogens that cause disease. So you don't want to open it up. And you want to save it. You want to save it because it's a medical record. You were bitten by a tick. If, if you get sick down the road, you want to say, hey, I removed this tick and, and this, is, this is it. This is the actual, the actual tick. So how do you save it? There's several ways. You can tape it to a card, a three by five piece of uh, card. You can put it in alcohol. You can even put it in hand sanitizer uh, and then label that with the date and where it was found on your body. So because Lyme disease, especially, you can actually have uh, rashes form at the bite site. So if you have a rash, uh, it's uh, the bullseye rash or erythema migrans rash, then it, it's like, oh yeah, I had a tick bite, you know, on my, behind my right leg of, or knee rather, behind my right knee, I had a tick bite. Now I have a rash there. I, I, it could be Lyme disease, but you have a card that, that, that proves you were bitten there. So you want to save the tick and, and those symptoms typically occur three to seven days, but up to 30 days. So you, you, it's, it's uh, something you wanna keep around. And so you, you keep the tick, you remove it as quickly as possible. The, the germs that cause these diseases are actually found in the gut of the tick. And so you don't wanna squeeze the tick with, with the uh, forceps. So you, that's why you wanna get close to the skin and pull straight out. Um, because you don't want to squeeze any of the gut contents into the bite site when it's attached, right? So you pull it straight out. And the other good thing about getting it out quickly, and again, it's all about doing tick checks frequently and, and getting the tick off as soon as possible, is it usually takes about 24 to 48 hours for the germs to, to, to get 
out in the saliva. And the reason for that is they're found in the gut. And when uh, they start to feed, they start moving through the tick body to the salivary glands or to the head of the tick. And that's how they start to come into the bite site. And so you have time, you've got about a day or more to remove the tick before you're at risk of acquiring the germ that causes a tick-borne illness. So that's the reason you wanna do tick checks at night, in the morning, in the field. I mean, if, you're in a, if you live in an area or, or visit an area that is prone to tick activity, you wanna do those tick checks. Any ticks that are on, you wanna remove them as quickly as possible. Right, so you had mentioned the, the bullseye rash. So that's a very common symptom of Lyme disease. Um, like, I feel like if someone saw that, they're like, okay, Lyme disease? Yeah. Actually, um, only seventy to eighty percent of the people get a rash. That was that was my question. So not everybody gets one. No, correct. So it's not. I mean, the majority of people do. You know, if it's seventy to eighty percent, but it's not a given. So you may uh, may not see a rash from a bite, um, but you still could have been infected by the germ that causes Lyme disease. The other thing is that you know, if you have darker skin, sometimes that bullseye rash may look like a bruise as opposed to looking like a, a bullseye rash. So if you have darker skin, you need to look for more like a bruise as a, that, that's, that's actually a rash, uh, as opposed to um, a, a typical bullseye rash that you see um, pictures of uh, in, if, you, if you Google bullseye rash. Um, so, and again, that's part of, okay, did, did I remove a tick from that location? If you can put those two together, then it's more, you're, you're, you're probably uh, more certain that it is uh, Lyme disease. And so then once you put that two and two together, so you've, you know, you've removed the tick, you see the bullseye, um, that's when you would normally go to your doctor and say, okay, here's, here's the signs, here's the symptoms. Um, and then you'd go from there to seek treatment. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, a bullseye rash is, is, is a given. If you see a bullseye rash, um, that is indicative of Lyme disease. But there's also other symptoms you can have with tick-borne illnesses. And luckily, they're kind of all the same. And it's basically a summertime flu. So if you have a headache, um, a fever, uh, any kind of achiness, um, or, or, or the rash of, of some sort, that is indicative of a tick-borne disease. So Lyme disease is the most prevalent, but there are several other tick-borne uh, tick illnesses that one can get from from uh, the, the ticks that are found in this area. So you'll kind of want to look for that. And again, you know, people typically don't get necessarily have flu-like symptoms during the summer. So if you have those flu-like symptoms, um, that is also indicative of possible uh, tick-borne illness. Uh, Lyme disease also has facial palsy, which is a paralysis of one side of the face. Um, and that's, that's specific for um, um, Lyme disease as well. There's other reasons that cause uh, facial palsy, but Lyme disease also causes facial palsy. So what does the treatment for Lyme disease look like? Um, and is, is it similar in any way to some of the other tick-borne diseases, the treatment at least? Yes. So um, many of the tick-borne illnesses are bacterial in nature and they're treated with antibiotics. And Lyme disease is treated primarily with two, amoxicillin and doxycycline. Um, and so those, those antibiotics are used to treat it. And if you get a diagnosis early and, and treat it th then, uh, 
prognosis is very good. I mean, most people will will respond to the antibiotics and, and be feeling uh, better uh, very soon. It's when you ignore those uh, symptoms and uh, those infections get more pronounced and and uh, you know uh, cause different types of symptoms. For example, um, you can have neurological issues with Lyme disease. You can have cardiac issues with Lyme disease, and you can have arthritis. Uh, complications with Lyme disease. If you let it go, if you don't treat it right away, you can have um, those types of symptoms down the road. So it's important to, to uh, you know, kind of pay attention to your body. And, and when you feel symptoms, uh, go to the doctor, especially during uh, uh, the, the most riskiest part of the tick season, that's in the summer. Uh, and, and uh, you know, get checked out and, and make sure that uh, tick-borne illnesses uh, aren't the issue. Great. So say someone has gotten Lyme disease before and they went and they got treatment, they've had the antibiotics. Um, do they have any sort of immunity to the disease? So anytime you're inf infected with some sort of pathogen uh, or germ, you, you create antibodies to it. Um, unfortunately, um, people get Lyme disease again, or can get Lyme disease again, and that you can get the other tick-borne illnesses again. So um, do, does everybody uh, get it twice? It's really uh, not known, but um, you do have antibodies, uh, how protective they are. Um, it, it's, it's not 100% because people can get Lyme disease uh, multiple times. So you, you, you know, once you get infected, it's not like you can, woohoo, you know, I, um, now I don't have to worry about tick-borne illnesses. I don't have to worry about Lyme disease. I've had it once I'm done. No, you have to really continue. It's, it's almost like a way of life, uh, here in Suffolk County is that you, you have to prevent tick-borne illnesses, uh, all the time, every day of the year, um, as long as it's above 40 degrees and, uh, uh and, and kind of make that part of the, your way of life here. Yeah. So um, I was just going to ask, do you have any frame of reference for um, like how many cases of Lyme disease that you see in Suffolk County? So all, all tick-borne illnesses are reportable. Uh, so so um, New York State actually has a list of all the uh, tick-borne illnesses uh, and Lyme disease is one of them. Uh, in Suffolk County, we only see, only reported about 450 to 650 a year. Um, there are publications out that basically say that Lyme disease is underreported. And, um, and so, so, you know, it's kind of a gauge, you can kind of like look at the trends of what's over time, but, but if you look at a county, any county and the number of reported cases, more than likely the actual number is underreported and there are more cases of that. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it, I think it, you have to look more at the trend as opposed to, you know, really what is going on. So, um, you know, if you live in a, a county that where you see only a few cases and you're starting to see more and more, is it a function of more people getting it or is it a function of more of reporting or both? You know, it, you know, so there's a lot of dynamics, especially early in the game. So, uh, Suffolk County has been dealing with Lyme disease since the 80s. And, and probably only formally been dealing with it since the 80s. It's been around longer than that. Uh, but, um, you know, so it started with the reporting and the testing and all that. And, uh, but again, it looks like it probably is underreported. So for the um, 
role that your office does. So you're the folks who, when someone catches a tick, right, then they send it to your office? So we don't do any testing uh, per se. What we do is we have 10 sites throughout the county, uh, one in each township. And uh, we go to that and we collect ticks. And then we actually are, are in the, a partnership with the uh, New York State Health Department. We send it to them. They actually do the analysis for us and they give us the infection rates for the, the uh, ticks that we send them. So we actually have all that data on our um, website and um, it, it, it's open to the public so that you can see and you can look at trends and, and you'll see that it fluctuates from location to location, um, you know, all driven by different parameters of the ecology of these ticks, whether it's the host or the infection rate of the host and the tick and, and, and all that. So it's complex, but, but it does show kind of trends. Uh, it kind of gives us an idea of what's going on throughout the county. Um, some, some locations do have higher infection rates than others. Some have more ticks than others. So, uh, you know, kind of gives us a, a sense of what is going on with regards to um, the tick species and the pathogens that they're carrying. It also gives the opportunity, you know, they're, they're finding new pathogens uh, or germs that are transmitted by ticks frequently. It just seems like, you know, they, just, they have found a few new viruses, um, uh, you know, some, some bacteria in the Midwest. Uh, so, so there's new findings and, if, and, and, and we're ready to look for those now that we have this established program and we can respond very quickly should they find another pathogen um, or germ that causes a tick-borne illness and we, so we can actually, uh, you know, hit the ground running. So, so that's the advantage of having this established um, tick-borne pathogen program and being able to, to see what's going on. Um, and, and, and that the advantage is we have information for the public as well as the medical community. Great. And that was actually, I was, you know, framing on my next question here is then equipped with this data that you have in these trends. Um, can you talk a little bit about the role of local health departments and how they play um, with protecting the public from Lyme disease? So once you have this data, like what, how do you use that to inform your decisions and um, what you do to um, provide prevention programs? Sure, I mean, obviously we're in the public health business, right? So any kind of risk uh, that we see to the public, you know, you know we, we try to address the best we can. Um, Tick-borne illnesses are very, aren't easy, you know, from the standpoint, you can't go out and kill every tick. Um, so you, you have to kind of, uh, target strategies that hopefully empower the, the, the public and empower the, the, the medical community to do what they can do to reduce the risk, right? You, it's all about empowerment. We can't, you know, spray everybody's legs when they go hiking and we can't, we can't make them, uh, you know, tuck their pants in their socks. We can empower them. We can give them the information and hope that they do as much as they can to try to prevent that. So education is an extremely um, important strategy when it comes to what a health department can do to uh, uh, try to empower and, and educate the public and, and give them what they need to understand what the risks are and try to address them to the level that they need to be addressed for that, for that individual. You know, if they hike, do they camp? 
Do they garden? Is that the only thing they do? Do they do, they do very little outside, but they have a dog that goes out and picks up ticks and brings them in. So they're not even at any risk other than having a dog bring the ticks in. So, so it's in all different levels. And what we try to do is try to enlighten them at, at the potential risk and hopefully light bulbs flick on uh, in their minds and say, hey, you know what? That's, that's risky behavior, or I need to do this to reduce the risk of acquiring Lyme disease. And so that's what a, pub, that's what a uh, local health department can do to try to um, reduce the risk and reduce the number of cases in a county. Right, because then the more equipped you are beforehand. So if you already know how to handle a tick once you see it, then like when you see one then you know you do the right practices so I'm thinking like to know to grab it from the skin right and if you've heard about this before then when you run into it then it's just you know not second nature necessarily but you're informed and you know what you should be doing right you you don't want people to to uh I mean go outdoors New York state and and I mean, almost every state has a lot to offer, right? So there's a lot to enjoy when you go out outdoors. So you, you want them not to be fearful. You want them to understand what the potential risks may be and take precautions accordingly. So yeah, it, it, they have to understand what to do. You know, it's just like if you have a leaky faucet, you've got to understand what to do with that leaky faucet. If you have a, if you're going into a park and the first thing you see is a trail sign that says, you know, caution, uh, ticks present or, you know, war, you know, ticks are, are uh, a, a danger or something like that, then you're, it's like, oh yeah, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to stay in the center of the trails instead of, you know, running and making my own trails. I want to stay in the center of the trail, not touch the, the leaf litter or the grass on either side. And, and that's going to reduce the risk that, I, that I'm, I'm going to acquire or, or have when I go into uh, this particular park. So it, right. So every little um, piece of the puzzle, uh, when it comes to trying to educate and trying to reduce the risk uh, for each individual, you know, we, it's, we try to plant those seeds and try to make it so people do it. By second nature, it's like okay, you know, this is this is tick territory. I've got to behave. I've got to I've got to check do tick checks every twenty minutes, and uh, you know, I've got to do, uh, do throw them in the, my clothes in the dryer when I get home. I've got if I do tick checks, if I have them attached, get them off as soon as possible. Uh, you know, save them for a, a future time. I've got to see how I'm feeling after this. Make sure that I don't have a tick-borne illness, and and you know, and then it becomes a way of life. So this sounds really like it's so fascinating to see how many different um, pieces come together to form this full um, prevention program and how you disseminate that to um, residents of a community and to folks visiting. So I wanted to shift a little bit and see if you can talk about the arthropod borne disease program um, and what it is that you do like on a day-to-day -day basis and talk more about um, now that we've talked about what we're focusing on and what is primarily your focus, what, what does your typical day look like? So, you know, I mean, with pre-COVID, we did an awful lot of outreach, educational outreach. We do talks and we have uh, written materials, um, 
you know, we try to get the word out and, and education, as I said, is a, is a big part of our program. Uh, we try to do as many talks as possible at, at uh, organizations um, that, that, that are outdoors, like gardening clubs and um, uh, landscapers, things like that. Um, we also uh, have educational outreach to people uh, that go to libraries. So we do a lot in libraries. Um, we have pamphlets that we send out to libraries. Uh, so, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different areas that we, that we have that educational outreach to. Uh, we also have the pathogen surveillance program that's throughout the uh, county. We go to the 10 locations, we uh, collect the ticks, we send them off for testing, and then we kind of look at that um, data and try to understand what's going on. Uh, should we change our educational material, material rather? And then, uh, you know, so, um, you know, it, 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 we're just trying to create a better picture of what's going on in Suffolk County. Uh, we do it, we, you know, we collect ticks uh, a lot and uh, because they're, they're active from basically spring to fall and then we even collect them in the winter. So, you know, it's, we don't do it every day. Uh, we also do mosquito surveillance. So we're out uh, collecting mosquitoes as well. So it's a lot of uh, collecting uh, different things and getting them tested and, and coming up with a risk assessment and, and uh, letting people know what's going on. And another question that just um, popped into my mind. So with, um, with COVID um, and with people being inside more, but then also um, trying to get outdoors in a safe way. Was there any, um, did that shift how you provided educational materials? Um, what with people not necessarily gathering, I guess, because um, a lot of people try to get outside more in COVID, I guess is what I'm getting at, um, which means there's more people at risk for tick-borne illnesses. Uh, did you see any kind of correlation like that? We didn't look at it, but there are other, um, universities and, and people looking at the actual, was there a shift in the risk? I mean, I know locally here, people went outdoors. I, I, we, we did as well. I mean, we went to parks and we saw more people at parks than we did pre-COVID, um, which is great. But then again, you have more people um, out and about and, and potentially having greater risk by doing that uh, activity. So, um, you know, we just, we didn't really have any in-person stuff, uh, any in-person educational outreach. We, we actually had, um, um, you know, very few requests for virtual um, things, you know, virtual Zoom meetings. And so what we did was, you know, we, we tried to concentrate on what we had on our website and we tried to, uh, you know, post things on social media. You know, uh, our press officer, Grace, did a great job with getting the word out and, and, and trying to, trying to, you know, put out breadcrumbs to, to draw people uh, into our, our virtual um, information, you know, our pamphlets. And, and if you go on our website, there's an awful lot of information there uh, that, we, that we actually have links to, to other uh, organizations like Centers uh, for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. So, you know, it, it's not like we had to recreate the wheel. We just used other people's uh, information. We have our own as well, but we, we tried to get it out. So, so it was available for people that might be like, Hey, you know what? I didn't, I've never spent this much time out in the, uh, 
in the parks. You know what? I, I better really figure out how I'm going to prevent uh, tick bites. Or you know what? Holy cow! I have a tick bite. All right. Now, what am I supposed to do? And and then so now they come looking. So um, it's definitely people were spending more uh, time outdoors. At least it looked that way to me. Um, and um, um, so we, we wanted to reduce the risk by trying to educate them virtually by, by giving them educational materials through our website and, and social media. Great. So as we're wrapping up our conversation here, um, i curious to know if you have any recommendations for county officials, local government leaders to, um, to protect the public from Lyme disease this season or going into next year. Um, any tips or recommendations you would give um, to folks um, in local government? Sure. I mean, it's it's very complex. Obviously, when you're if you have a program in tick-borne disease, it's great. I mean, when I say that, you know, or, or if you're collecting ticks already and trying to understand what's going on in your county, it's wonderful. Um, the state health department actually goes throughout the state uh, and and collects ticks in many of the counties already. So even if you don't have a um, a program on the uh, local health department level, you may have data from the state health department. So you can find all that on the state health department. Um, and then, it, it, you know, it's usually driven by um, the public and the politicians to try to create a program like this. Uh, you know, it takes resources. Um, and, and it may not be a lot of resources in the beginning. It could be a, an unpaid uh, student or uh, you know, a volunteer that's willing to collect some ticks and, and a, a collaborator at a local university that's willing to test them. Um, so so you, can get, you can get things going relatively easy and then it kind of you know, may build momentum and it'll be like, okay, we've got this going on and maybe we need to look at it on a, on a larger level with regards to many locations in a county. We have 10, you know, you start with one uh, and then and then so it builds momentum uh, and then maybe it, it, it'll take a, um, a part time uh, effort of a sanitarian or somebody and then it gets greater and then you hire somebody full time to to work in the program. You know, so it, 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 it will build momentum. I've been doing this for almost 30 years and, you know, it took a while to get to get the resources going uh, and much to uh, Suffolk County's credit, they, they, they see the need, they, they were willing to, um, to fund um, the, the program and, 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 and get it off the ground. And, and it's really, I think, benefited Suffolk County by having this program and better understanding tick-borne illnesses. Uh, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of resources out there um, on the local level, I mean, I've helped other health, health departments start a program and, 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 and guide them. So if you know a local health department that has a program, that'll help you. Um, and then there's the state resources. Uh, New York State has the, you know, a good program uh, as well. Um, regionally, uh, CDC started a um, Centers for Excellence in Vector-Borne Disease, and there's five regional uh, centers uh, we have a Northeast region that we're part of. So every state in the nation is part of 
of one of those regional uh, centers of excellence, that's a resource on a regional level. And then you have the national level, you have CDC, which is willing to help. And so, so the resources are there to get these programs going and to better understand. But it, you know, I've always said it's better to be proactive than reactive. You wanna understand the problem and you wanna get, get it, an understanding, not when it's a crisis, you wanna understand it when you understand that something's going on and, and start working it at that level, as opposed to, oh my gosh, you know, it's super high, the infection rate, or, you know, there's so many cases, now what do we do? Start, you know, start, um, you know, put a little effort into it at the beginning and you'll under, you'll, it'll benefit you in the long run. Fantastic. And I think that's a great note to leave our conversation off. And I just want to say thank you again so very much, Dr. Campbell, for joining us to have this conversation um, and to point our membership towards so many resources available to them. Um, and again, for our listeners, I just want to um, highlight th thanks to Dr. Scott Campbell from the Arthropod Borne Disease Laboratory at the Suffolk County Department of Health Services. Thank you so very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of County Conversations. Make sure to keep tuning in each Monday for new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date.